So let's jump into the training. Super songs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what are super songs? So let's list a couple of them here. So obviously, Don't Stop Believing, super song. Margaritaville from Jimmy Buffett, super song. My Way, Frank Sinatra. 99 Problems, Jay-Z, Friends in Low Places, Like a Virgin, Beat It, Living on a Prayer. A handful All of classics. Them. All classics. All classics. All classics. So what we want to do in this section here is we want to reverse engineer these songs. And that's what we've done over the past 15 years is we've, we're going to, we've distilled these and we're going to talk about why these songs not only make money for the artists, but make money for the, their kids' kids, right? It's a generational type thing. And the fans connect to them in a super powerful way. All right, so these are some examples, kind of obvious, you know, hit songs that everybody connects with. So we want to ask, why, what do these songs have in common? Um, so as you were thinking about songs, there are songs you write, and there are songs that maybe make your album or your EP, right? And then maybe there's a hit song there if, if you've got the team around you to do that. And then at the tip of the iceberg, you have super songs. This is what we're talking about today, okay? Uh, so let's look at a couple attributes of what these songs have in common. I'm going to take a hit of the uh, Starbucks here. So super songs outlive the artist, right? They, they're the vehicle that the artist drives throughout their career. Uh, super songs have concepts that are universal themes, right? You don't have to explain them. Super songs tell the listener's story, the fan's story, not just the artist's story. It's big different. Baby artists love to tell their story. Successful artists tell the fan story. They create songs that the fans can step inside of. It's kind of like a film. When you think about The Godfather or Star Wars, you don't have to understand much. You just immediately get enveloped in it. And that's what super songs are. They're kind of three-minute films. So does anybody know what it's like to blow off steam and have a good time? Raise your hand. Yeah, kind of everybody does, right? And that's kind of why Rock and Roll All Night steps into that space. Does anybody know what it's like to work long hours and hate your job? Yes, I'm raising my hand. Kind of like 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton, right? You don't have to explain it. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. You, you just immediately have a vehicle that can connect to millions upon millions of people. Uh, anybody know what it's like to lose someone to cancer? Yeah, kind of me. Every, you know, everybody connects with that. Kind of like Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. So the songs do the work for the artist. They don't have to be explained. They're commonly upbeat. Um, uh, some things that super songs are, aren't. They're not dependent on the charts, right? They're not dependent on RIA numbers. So all this legacy stuff kind of goes away into the back. They're not dependent on production, style, or genre. 
They're not dependent on age. They're not dependent on production. Um, they're beyond those things. So let's let's look at the tool that we're going to step through here. So this is what we call the song stickiness matrix, right? What is stickiness? Uh, how would you, Donimitri, how would you think about stickiness? Uh, well, definitely uh, a quality of a song that allows it to remain with you, that uh, allows it to, with you as a listener. Um, yeah. A quality of a song that uh, makes it relatable um, mm -hmm. to other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you hit it on the head. It's, it, it relates to you easier. Um, so how well a song sticks with the listener, right? It clarifies the overall message for the artist, right? You don't need to give them, Tommy used to work on the docks. Union's been on strike. He's down on his luck. Boom. I get it. Right. First three lines. I, I'm, I can connect with that. Right. It strengthens fan engagement, right? Cause you're telling their story. You're actually super songs kind of bless the listener in that they help them tell their story, right? Helps them get through things. It expands the visual for the artist. Uh, it speeds up production. Um, it was, I've produced hundreds of records for artists and, and, you know, there's nothing worse than having to produce a song that is a good song. When you have a great song, those songs just produce themselves, right? You don't have to polish a turd. You don't have to add bells and whistles. The songs kind of uh, simplify the production process. Um, it obviously excites radio because then they can connect through to the their audience. Um, and it allows everybody on your team to work smarter and not just harder, right? It makes everybody's job easier. So this is kind of how we think about stickiness. Clarifies message, strengthens engagement, expands the visual, speeds up production, excites radio, works super smart. And maybe most importantly, it saves you money and makes you money, right? At the end of the day, <laughs> cutting songs that are good songs are way more expensive in 10 different ways. You got to spend more money on turds. Um, so with that being said, we have an idea of what stickiness is. Let's look at the matrix here. Um, and again, this is something that we developed in working with Sony tree for years and working with Garth Brooks for years. Um, we, um, uh, talked about this at Harvard with Perry Gordy, who's Barry Gordy's son. And he said, this is exactly right. This is what Barry Gordy, no, knowing it existed or not, his instincts led him to this. So uh, Barry Gordy um, has great instincts. Some of us mere yeah. mortals, you and I, Donimitri, we may not. <laughs> so let's, let's understand this matrix and spend some time kind of running the bases here. So, Here's a dude. He's a dart dude, right? I didn't know there were competitive dart people, but evidently there are, right? <laughs> so songs are like this. You know, we want to hit the right 
you know, the, the target here, the bullseye. Um, so are we building our songs in the right neighborhood? Smart artists plant their songs in the box with the most revenue and reach and purposefully avoid those that do not. All right. So on the bottom of the matrix here is place. Um, songs can either live in a personal space over here on the left side, or they can live on, they have a universal place on the right. Um, songs also have a time. They have a time and a place. This is time on the left. They're either up-tempo on the top or down-tempo ballads on the bottom. Okay? So, let's look at down-tempo personal. This is called the Quadrant of Death. All baby artists who start writing songs immediately start here. They're telling their hyper-emotional, most feeling, you know, only they can relate to it, right? Nobody else can really get it. Baby artists all start here. I've done it as well. I mean, yeah. I don't make music no. myself anymore, but I used to, I used to make music when I was uh, in my, in my teens. And I remember actually, mm -hmm. you're, you're totally right. Like my, when I think of it, my first tracks that I wrote and I recorded, they were like, uh, they were very, very personal. First of all, they were very Absolutely. personal. And it might have been quite hard for the people to actually relate to it. Um, yeah. 100, you're 100% right. And, and we have to start there, right? We can't skip that stage. Um, but we don't want to stay there. As soon as we know the dartboard and become that dart guy, we want to kind of graduate from this box. Um, so that's Q1. I call it the, you know, the, the wrist slitter, the, the, open wound where you're always just telling your most wounded story and you expect everybody else to drop everything and pay attention to it. Doesn't work that way. Almost impossible for songs here to have a life. Um, so let's move on to the next quadrant. Up-tempo songs that are still hyper-personal. Um, these songs have a little more energy just because they're up-tempo, but at the end of the day, they're still kind of open woundy songs. You're expecting people to enter into your world rather than letting your song become their world, right? Um, so the third quadrant is the universal theme, and it's a down-tempo ballad. And we'll look at some examples in each of these quadrants. Um, these have way more reach because of the universal nature, right? And the super song quadrant up here at the top is universal themes and reach and up-tempo, okay? So let's, and songs on this side of the matrix over here drive 80% of the revenue for artists and publishers. So if you're writing songs and you have maybe six hours a week to write songs, you want your dart to only hit this side of the board. If your songs are over here, don't write those songs. And that's what great songwriters, producers know. Avoid songs over here and spend your time over here. All right, so let's uh, look at some examples here. Um, well, actually, let's, let's talk about the quadrant of death over here. Young artists write these 80% of the time, right? It's kind of self-indulgent. 
Um, these are my innermost feelings and the world has to stop. These generate only 20% of the revenue for some of the largest uh, publishers and record labels in the world. Um, they tell the artist stories, not the listener's story. Whereas over here, these songs are the majority of all super songs. They generate 80% of the revenues for the top artists and labels and are cut 90% more than the other side. And 90% plus of sync revenues come from songs that are over here. Nobody wants to license songs on the other side. We only want to license songs that connect to people, right? So, um, let's move on. Wings, and it's not about sex, I love hearing you sing 